Welcome to the Scandinavian Mind podcast. I'm Conrad Olsen, founder and editor-in-chief of Scandinavian Mind. My guest today is Paulina Mattikainen, investment director at the Helsinki-based VC firm Maki. Paulina is one of the industry's strongest proponents for Femtech, the abbreviation for technologies that aims to support women's health. Paulina got into the space after being a professional athlete where she saw the need for innovations supporting fellow female athletes. We talk about this and about plenty more in this episode. We dive into the definitions of femtech. We talk about exciting new innovations that track hormonal changes in the female body and why sex tech usually falls under the term femtech. And also the prospect of rental fashion, which Maki has her stake in through its investment in the Stockholm-based startup Released. The Scandinavian Mind podcast is a bi-weekly show about the intersection of lifestyle and technology. Every Wednesday, we publish an in-depth interview with an innovator from the worlds of design, fashion, beauty, mobility or tech. And every other Friday, we publish a panel talk or other behind-the-scenes content from the world of Scandinavian Mind. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter to stay updated on the latest news and learn about upcoming talks and events. Visit scandinavianmind.com newsletter. Here now, my conversation with Paulina Matikainen. Enjoy. I am here with Paulina Matikainen, Investment Director at Maki. Uh, Paulina, thank you so much for speaking to me. Thanks for having me. Glad to, glad to be here. I'm very excited, uh, you know, not only to be speaking to someone from Helsinki, one of my favorite cities in the world, <laughs> uh, but also to be talking about a subject that I'm uh, perhaps less familiar and and uh, hopefully you can help me uh, get more familiar. We're going to talk about sort of the... Um, being sort of values-based uh, in, in the space of investment and tech, and uh, specifically the the concept of femtech. Uh, I know you are super, you know, enthusiastic about this, and I'll be happy to to jump into it. So maybe we just just start with some of the definitions. What what is femtech for for someone who doesn't know? So to be as kind of uh, clear as possible, so basically with femtech, I mean uh, technological solutions catered towards women and even more specifically towards women's health. So mm. that's kind of as, as simple as, as it is. <laughs> and what would be some prime examples, you know, going a little bit deeper into that? So going a little bit uh, deeper, so I would say kind of... Um, uh, when looking at overall, like average, even like perfectly healthy European women's uh, life cycle, there are a vast array of opportunities for really kind of mainstream femtech products. So really starting from one, when one gets her period, buys tampoons, receives sex education and starts exploring sex or starts using contraceptives, tracks menstrual cycle. Mm. If she chooses to have children, uh, starts tracking fertility and hormonal health, gets pregnant, recovers from giving birth, breastfeeds, starts pelvic floor training and, you know, all this uh, kind of a, a, up until kind of a, your, your menopause years and, and kind of during all these different stages. 
there are you know opportunities for technology to be to be making women's life a little bit easier and you know why do you think this term is important why do we have do why do we need the term femtech because you know i've been hearing about it for a couple of years i'm sure it's it's been around a little bit longer than that so just can you give us some background to what how this all started so how it all started is basically, I think it was um, uh, Clue co-founder Ida Tin who, who basically coined the term uh, femtech back in 2016 or so, and it really was kind of a just uh, just an overarching term to describe these solutions catered towards women's health, with the idea that I guess back in the days it was uh, I, I hope we are making progress so back in the days it was it was more kind of a taboo where where for instance when you were pitching to investors or pitching to press uh, people tended to plush when when mentioning sex education or or periods or whatnot all the terms that i that i already already mentioned in the in the beginning of this episode and mm. you didn't plush by the way so i guess we are making progress right <laughs> <laughs> Sure. And how did you how did you get into it? What, what what drew you to this subject? So basically, for me, it's really kind of um overall. I obviously see a, a big business opportunity within the space as an investor. So it's really kind of a the biggest opportunity in femtech. I think uh, from the investor point of view is that it's it's in such early days still. So so that's obviously one one reason for my kind of interest uh, towards the space and obviously also kind of um, from a personal perspective, I'm super passionate about uh, women's health uh, topics uh, and, and have some kind of personal experience with, with this as well. So for instance, I, uh, I actually used to do um, sports competitively before, before diving into venture capital. So I was uh, competing on a youth national team team level and uh, in, in track and field as a, as a runner. And, and what was or is kind of mind-blowing to think, uh, think about now is that um, although I was kind of competing in such a high level, there was actually never any talk about um, uh, kind of uh, issues specific to women or women's uh, hormonal or menstrual cycles or anything like that, that I think uh, should be taken into account when, when training or when designing optimal nutrition for for female athletes and so forth. And, and it obviously got me as well as it has gotten quite quite many other female athletes in, in, into trouble. So I actually then um, suffered from quite bad hormonal imbalances and so forth. So really that actually then led to led to me quitting quitting sports and, and doing something else. But really kind of having having gone through this, uh, I just feel super passionate about about uh, uh, finding and, and funding solutions that, that really uh, help help women with these types of topics. And you think that, is there a general situation that, you know, traditional research in this field, you're talking about hormonal differences and, and so forth, when it comes to sports, to take that example, has been towards male athletes or the you know, traditional male situation. And then that's mm-hmm. why these things haven't been taken into account or these, these issues or, or these mm-hmm. aspects of, so, of uh, you know, optimizing. Yeah, definitely. I'm not, it's not necessarily even just with athletes, but just with the general public overall, kind of a, we have vast amounts of uh, scientific and te- technological depth when it comes to female female health. So it's always been underfunded and under-researched and underserved. And, and there is really kind of a lack of innovation historically when it when it comes to women's health. And, and really, it's kind of crazy to think how far technology has come for 
for instance, since the 1960s, for instance, with the mm. internet and, and smartphones, but the, but the science of women's bodies have, has barely progressed at all. Uh, so for instance, uh, kind of a mundane example, but, but imagine that, for instance, the uh, digital uh, pregnancy testers uh, still today actually have a manual analog tester inside them, coupled with a few LEDs and photosensors to read whether the manual tester actually so shows one or two lines and there is actually nothing too digital about that and women are lured to invest in these digital tests in order to get a, a supposedly more reliable res result so so this is still kind of happening today so lots of lots of room for innovation definitely <laughs> right right so uh, i thought i i heard you use the term technological depth was that the term you were using i thought that was really interesting <laughs> Yeah, so basically, uh, I, I was using the term technological depth as, as well as science depth. So, so there is uh, definitely kind of the time is really ripe to bridge the bridge the gap there and, and build mm. technology and, and products that really really work for for women. So, for instance, from the technological point of view as well as then from the science point of view. So, an example for, from that is that, for instance, until I think it was 1993, women were actually largely excluded from clinical trial participation in the in the US really contributing to this kind of a knowledge crap gaps uh, surrounding health factors specific to to women so so really quite a bit of um, uh, although we are making progress there is still definitely a room uh, way to go <laughs> well it seems to me there's there's almost like this cognitive dissonance in, in understanding that we are to uh, you know 50% male 50% women and and that we're not really catering to the, the female half when it comes to research science investing um, when it comes to your own journey, when you moved from sports into the field of investing, was was there um, any particular examples that inspired you to move into this, or was it more like you saw this massive opportunity? I think it was. I don't think there are any necessarily kind of concrete cases or examples that got me excited. It was more kind of just like. Uh, that uh, overall, I think femtech was something that was more and more talked about, and then then kind of uh, diving into the numbers, it was it was quite obvious that there is a big opportunity there. So obviously, as you said, the the kind of a obvious starting point is that the total addressable market for for femtech is over half of the world's population, and then kind of looking at the numbers, uh, the the global. Femtech market is expected to actually grow with a compound annual growth rate of, I believe, like 16% up to 2025 and, and really estimated to reach a market market value of close to $50 billion by that time. And this may even be kind of hugely underestimating things. So I think that that really tells about the, the size of the, the opportunity. And obviously the investment figures also have been have been increasing in the in the uh, recent recent years. There was a slight dip in 2020, but now kind of uh, in 2021, there has already been a huge, huge bounce back with like six over 600 uh, million, like closer to 650 million euros being invested in Q, Q1 alone. So that's really a, a high, high number. And I, I think we can do even better. <laughs> Wow, that's that's amazing. Um, so I'm sure the, the the root cause of this has been, you know, management and the people controlling the decisions and the people controlling capital. How much is that changing overall in the field of, of investing that you see? You know, does does more women in charge also help uh, put a light on, on these issues? Um, yes, I, I guess that's kind of a first of all. <laughs> 
or I think the issue has been not that someone has been kind of intentionally overlooking the field, but rather that uh, people have been un, uninformed. And uh, and I believe that kind of uh, gradually, uh, when there is more research and, and more information uh, that is being kind of made accessible to more and more of the general public, as well as the investors and founders and, and so forth, uh, and people start to understand that we actually we've got, got an issue if, if women uh, and their unique needs are not taken into account in, in development of, of health tech. So, so I, I definitely believe that kind of with more knowledge, we are more more informed and make make uh, better better decisions. So, so I don't think anyone has been kind of intentionally overlooking anything in the in the past. Mm. So let's get into the, the definitions again. And and uh, you know it's it's femtech's broad sweeping uh, a term. Um, so in your mind, what are the sort of subcategories that are worth mentioning and understanding in this field? Yeah. So as as I said, so definitely kind of throughout the like perfectly healthy uh, woman's life cycle, there are a vast array of opportunities. Not to mention kind of uh, uh, that the that there are obviously conditions that that women suffer from like endometriosis or breast cancer, etc. That that kind of uh, are not even part of this kind of a uh, average perfectly healthy woman's life cycle, which doesn't even exist, but but is kind of the stereotype here. But uh, but kind of within this uh, life cycle, there are specific areas. For instance, um, some some uh, areas that I've been diving diving deep into are, for instance, reproductive health and fertility. Uh, menopause that has been kind of a, a hot area within the past years as well as uh, sex tech that has kind of picked up especially during during uh, COVID so we've found one one thing that is uh, proven to be COVID proof and that seems to be sex <laughs> so let's get into some examples and see, let's see if I'm blushing when we, when we get into <laughs> some examples uh, what are some examples that you are investing in and and any other that you want to mention so, so for instance, uh, well, start, let's start from the reproductive health and fertility. Right. So there is definitely uh, interesting uh, new innovations emerging uh, when it comes to contraceptives. So there is, for instance, um, a London-based company, Tune, uh, who help women better understand their own hormonal balance and provide them a personalized pill. And, and then there is a, a Nordic company, actually, a Danish, Danish company, UI, who are creating this non-hormonal contraceptive capsule for women so really trying to to replace the kind of a traditional uh, pill there which is which is huge um x freezing or, or egg freezing is a growing phenomenon in the in the us but that's still kind of relatively uh little or relatively little is, is happening in europe when it when it comes to egg freezing space um but there is for instance a berlin-based company oviavo um who are looking to solve this uh problem through employee benefits uh and and so forth so there are a couple, those were a couple of uh, kind of uh, companies that come to mind when it comes to reproductive health health and fertility but but really kind of i think the the overarching kind of trend there is that uh, first of all kind of the average age when women have children has been has been uh, gradually increasing and and kind of a 
uh, this, I would say, reflects a wider trend whereby uh, women of all ages are starting to take kind of more control over their reproductive health, uh, demanding really solutions that are more safe, more holistic and, and more personalized. And overall, secondly, women today are more aware of the role hormones play in their life, um, causing, for instance, this uh, most common contraceptive, so the pill to go down in its in its popularity. So mm. so those are a couple of couple of trends in the in the when it comes to the reproductive health, for instance. Mm. And when it comes to, to to later in life, menopause, what's happening there in innovations? So, so they're kind of um, definitely actually a lot, lots happening, but many of the companies in, are in their very, very kind of early stages. So have, have maybe raised their first financing rounds, but, the, but kind of a, no, no massive rounds yet, yet that we've seen. But, but looking at menopause, I would say that the companies that I see there kind of broadly fall into uh, two main camps. So there are these companies who offer. Uh, products to tackle specific menopause symptoms and then um, on the other hand kind of companies offering digital therapeutics uh, to better manage manage the kind of a menopause journey more holistically including through uh, medical interventions for instance so and and within these both of these kind of a subcategories so first kind of starting from from products tackling Tackling menopause uh, symptoms, there there we see both kind of wearables as well as supplements. So, for instance, uh, this company from Paris called Mona uses uh, water cooling technology uh, to regulate temperature on pillows to actually improve the quality and duration of sleep of menopausal women. And then within supplements, well, there are again a variety of companies, but. But for instance, uh, there's a London-based company called, called M-Powder who, uh, who basically produced this vegan uh, protein powder uh, then to uh, aid, aid um, women with hormonal fluctuation. And then when it comes to digital therapeutics, there are, for instance, Vira Health. Um, uh, that's also a UK company. So actually many of the European companies that I see originate from the, from the UK. So, but they basically, for instance, uh, provide this evidence-based uh, intervention uh, platform uh, for, for women. So more from the kind of a platform side then. But definitely uh, lots, lots happening uh, there and looking, looking forward to actually see some of these companies then uh, continue and then raise even bigger rounds. But definitely mm. kind of the, it's, it's one of the areas that all the, all the investors have been eyeing in the, in the let's say, past um, two years or so. You're mentioning companies from from all over the world, and and you know you, you're based in Helsinki, Finland. I'm I'm curious uh, to hear from your end what Nordic what the Nordics how how, how do, does the Nordic play a role in this? Uh, do we have more or less companies, or you know, or perhaps more or less money floating into these areas uh, from from your perspective? So as I said, I think like femtech overall is still in its early days when looking at well globally as well as in in Europe and obviously kind of a so I I do see companies coming coming out of uh, Nordics uh, but uh, but kind of. Um, uh, I would say that in Europe, uh, definitely the, the largest volume at the moment comes comes from uh, the UK. But that's obviously also kind of a, a bigger hub uh, e- either way in comparison to, to Nordics also when, when it comes to kind of uh, other areas within within tech. So, so no surprise there in that sense. 
And what specifically does Machia's uh, you know engagement look like I- in this field? And and you know is is that coming fr- from you or is it also from from the uh, the shareholders of Machia to 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 mm-hmm. invest in this? So so definitely uh, well yeah definitely definitely from the from the whole team in the sense that uh, that uh, we obviously make decisions uh, somewhat in a team in the sense that obviously if, if someone in the team is super convinced about the opportunity he or she might might pursue the deal even though others would not be as as convinced but obviously kind of the themes that we spend a lot of time in are discussed within the team and everyone is everyone is in, on board but but yeah so we really strive to kind of actively look into into companies in the in the femtech space and, and look forward to do more more investment in the in the space particularly in in Europe and and over Overall, kind of be active within the femtech community and, and comparing it with notes with others as well to kind of uh, grow grow mm. uh, together mm. in in Europe. Many of the the uh, examples you mentioned, I'm, I'm I'm sure they are sort of on a consumer level or, or like an individual level. Mm. Uh, are there innovations happening on like uh, you know business to business area or or are there things companies can do to invest more in femtech? So overall, so many of the companies that I mentioned, well, yes, they are consumer facing in the sense that it's actually the end user is the is the kind of a um, women woman. But uh, but actually, more and more fintech companies I see are taking this kind of a dual approach where they kind of uh, have the direct to consumer path, but also a B two B side in in kind of a hopes of a quicker and more scalable monetization. So. Oftentimes, they also aim at, at selling their offering for corporates of different sizes to get their product or offering offered to their employees. So really, the again, the end user is obviously kind of a consumer. So for instance, as uh, through organizations as part of uh, uh, healthcare perks provided uh, by the employer or then partnering with insurance companies for preventive care purposes and so forth. So I really see this kind of a dual dual approach uh, more and more with with the femtech companies. Mm. And, and let's talk about sex tech, which uh, <laughs> maybe it's time to blush. But uh, um, why would you why would you categorize that under femtech? Isn't that you know all gender, or or is there innovations happening specifically towards uh, the female audience? Yeah, so obviously, like some of these uh, companies that are under sex tech are kind of uh, catering towards both men and men and women, uh, especially on the dating front and so forth. But but kind of uh, looking at the the overarching trends in the sex tech area, there is this kind of um, how would I put it? Kind of the the democratization and and uh, growing. Uh, social acceptance of especially female uh, pleasure uh, and and well-being uh, that have really made sex tech a field that that uh, can can be ignored uh, also mm. from the from the kind of a female perspective. So we've kind of reached a tipping point where where uh, millennials and and Gen Z women see pleasure kind of uh, more as a necessity uh, and, uh, and and as an element of self-care for for body and, and mind rather than than a luxury or something kind of a taboo that should not be talked about or or required <laughs> so so that's why I, I definitely think it belongs under under femtech 
Yeah, yeah. And any specific examples, any innovations that's been happening that I've that I've missed out on? <laughs> so, hmm. so there, for instance, um, kind of on the when it comes to this uh, sexual wellness and education. So, so that's uh, I think really really becoming the kind of hottest category in, in sex tech. So there are companies like Mjoy out of Barcelona, or actually Oclio from Stockholm, who are offering. Uh, informative content and erotic stories to help people really find the self-care benefits of of sex um or then london-based comma who combines this kind of a, a modern science and and ancient wisdom into easy to follow daily practices but but lots of uh, companies also from the nordics as said in the in the sexual wellness and education education field and and obviously then during during covid as said so so um Uh, kind of although sex toys are the are the most established category on the on the kind of a uh, sex tech uh, sex tech uh, space uh, and maybe on some ways the kind of least least techy out of out of these there there has been a wave of new innovation there very recently as well so so uh, for instance uh, even the even the established uh, players like Lelo out of out of Stockholm or Amaran out of Zurich, Zurich have actually also seen a boom in in purchases with with uh, or kind of during during COVID now. Hmm. So Scandinavian Mind, our our tagline is bridging lifestyle and technology, and we we really try to cover the the intersection where where these worlds meet. Traditionally, we come from from the worlds of sort of fashion, interior design, beauty, and so forth. I know you're doing some work in this space as well. What what kind of uh, innovations and trends do you see uh, coming from that angle? Coming from that angle, so overall, maybe maybe I should actually tell a, a little bit of of what we like in, in terms of like broader terms what we do at Maki please, and, and then talk about. So basically, so so we are a seed fund, uh, a seed venture capital fund, and invest in deep tech and brand driven companies. And I believe this kind of a brand driven uh, pocket uh, where we really invest in companies with kind of a, mas- a massive. Um, brand potential that's i believe something that then comes close to kind of the lifestyle that you were referring to um there uh, there's for instance one uh, stockholm based company called it's released that we've uh, invested in um a little over year ago now um so they basically offer women access to premium scandi fashion by renting them three items a month on a subscription basis and shipping those goods to your your uh, door every month uh, so that's kind of a giving giving access to a huge variety of of uh, of uh, great scandy fashion with actually a fairly decent price in comparison to what you would pay for those if you if you were to kind of buy and own them them yourselves so so i believe that really kind of uh, is is a company that is uh, maybe could be interesting to the listeners if they are if they're listening with the kind of a Uh, tech and, and lifestyle in mind. <laughs> no, that's a great example, and and uh, you know we we know them, and I think that's you know one part of 
where fashion is going in this more sort of experiential um, direction where I definitely think renting uh, the garments is, is, is a huge part of, of uh, how we will consume or, or use uh, fashion in the, in the future. Yeah, uh, so absolutely. the need to the need to to own something that we basically only use once or twice is is you know increasingly uh, uh, almost ridiculous idea. Um, but I know there's there's a huge mind shift that needs to needs to uh, sort of happen. And and on that note, I'm I'm curious in sort of overall um, consumer attitudes towards some of these issues that we mentioned here today. Uh, where do you see the challenge in terms of of uh, changing the consumer's mind uh just you know anything that comes comes to mind for you changing the consumer mind so obviously that's uh, never never easy and that's i think that as an investor the kind of biggest risk that we take when investing in in some of these consumer facing companies that are kind of like a bit out there ideas like mm. like uh, renting fashion or or doing understanding your hormones better and so so forth so um definitely kind of um, the the timing is a big risk in the sense that how quick can we actually change the consumer behavior at scale and that requires a lot of education a lot of communication uh and as i said definitely can't uh, can't be done done overnight and for instance in the in the example of of it really is so uh, I, I believe that, for instance, in this particular case, so so kind of, a, I do believe that rentals will become the kind of a new normal in, in consuming fashion. Um, and I actually believe that kind of, a, uh, it's good if there are several kind of a companies coexisting. And, mm-hmm. and I believe that they will not necessarily kind of eat off of each other, but but kind of rather boost each other in, in replacing the, the existing uh, consumption uh, ecosystem. So I believe that kind of uh, it's good if there there are actually more players than one involved in kind of uh, uh, right. really at scale changing the behavior. In terms of uh, you know investing, finding new companies, is there anything that you're looking for that you haven't found? Is there anything you you know for a startup entrepreneur? What what should you go into uh, to 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 sort of catch your attention? That's a great question. So overall, obviously, kind of we we invest uh, so early that the primarily uh, thing that we look at is is the team, and I believe that the the kind of a strong teams then define the kind of most interesting areas. Um, so so I would rather look at look at it that way that, that the mm. investor investors are there then to rather kind of support the entrepreneurs' uh, vision and sharing their vision. But if I have to name something. Um, from the femtech area, I've been uh, I've been saying this for for quite a while now, but uh, but I would really love to see more companies kind of looking beyond just like uh, reproductive uh, health, but rather rather kind of understanding that the women's uh, cycle actually affect their everyday and affect their kind of everyday productivity and and uh, creativity and so forth. So, for instance, uh, companies that would um, help women sync their cycle with the right nutrition or with the right uh, training. Uh, those those uh, types of players would be, I think, highly highly interesting. And I haven't seen too many too many in that space. 
That's a, that's a good tip. And and you mentioned teams. What are you looking for in teams? What are the most uh, you know most important traits in 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 a founding team? Do you think? So overall, obviously, kind of because we kind of uh, becoming the. So first of all, when we're investing, obviously, kind of we're investing with the idea that this this particular company will become huge and has the potential to essentially like return our fund and so we are really looking for something exceptional in the team whether that's kind of a uh, unique know-how from the industry or unique technological know-how or etc but really kind of trying to find a competitive advantage and this kind of secret sauce that why this particular team would succeed uh, where others don't. It's a very vague answer, but uh, but but really kind of trying to trying to uh, find why why against all the odds these people would mm. would make it. And and just uh, to to we're gonna wrap up soon, but I'm, I can't I can't help myself. I need to ask a few questions about Helsinki, one of my favorite cities. And 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 uh, I'd like you to 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 make the pitch for Helsinki compared to to other Nordic uh, cities. Uh, why do you think Helsinki is happening right now? And and why should one uh, you know place their bets there? <laughs> Uh, are we talking about pets in terms of startups or in terms of uh, everyday life? In terms of everyday life, I think the city is really kind of uh, has been evolving a lot throughout the past, let's say five to ten, ten years. And I hope that whenever we get out of COVID, it, it will continue as it as it was. But definitely lively, lively culture, great restaurants, um, great uh, art and design. If you are into that. Um, and and overall happy happy uh, and, and international people people as well living in Helsinki and and everything is obviously in a very compact uh, size so you can live in the center work in the center and enjoy the center if you if you kind of enjoy the city life. <laughs> Wonderful. That's a, that's a great tip. So where can people learn more about Femtech and where can people learn more about the work you do with, with Maki in this area? What's the starting point, do you feel? Uh, overall about Femtech, for, for instance, there are a couple of actually uh, really great newsletters. Uh, so for instance, uh, Women of Wearables is, is one and then um, Femtech Insider, another one uh, that are uh, curated by, uh, by some very knowledgeable uh, women in the space. Uh, so, so definitely good, uh, good um, kind of uh, knowledge share that they are doing and good knowledge curation that they are doing. Um, and then otherwise, in terms of uh, following us, I, I think we are quite quite active ourselves when it comes to kind of comms and, and marketing and try and uh, produce some some value-adding content as well around Femtech. Uh, I, I believe we are again have in, uh, publishing something soon, so definitely could be worthwhile to follow us, us as well on social, for instance, to get keep, or kind of stay up to date. Wonderful. Paulina Matikainen, Investment Director at Maki, uh, calling in from Helsinki, Finland. Thank you so much for speaking to me. Thanks. It was fun. Thank you, Konrad. <laughs> Thank you. You've been listening to the Scandinavian Mind podcast with me, Conrad Olson. This show was edited by Erik Sedin. If you liked what you heard, follow us on your preferred podcast app like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. 
To get the latest news, insights, and invites to upcoming events, sign up to our newsletter. Just go to scandinavianmind.com to become part of our movement.